Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Every Wednesday, we discuss all things dogs, from health and veterinary care to training and behavior science. Follow us and join Good Dog's mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Michael Delgado. I'm the standards and research lead here at Good Dog. And today, I am so excited to introduce Dr. Marty Becker. You may have heard of him as America's veterinarian. He earned his veterinary degree from Washington State University College of Veterinary Medicine. And since then, he's been a pioneer in the field of the human-animal bond and the human-animal connection. He's owned many veterinary practices. He's lectured all over the world, written at least 25 books, three of which were New York Times bestsellers. His most recent book is entitled From Fearful to Fear Free a positive program to free your dog from anxieties, fears, and phobias. And today we're having Dr. Becker here on the Good Dog Pod to talk about Fear Free and what it means for us, what it means for you. So Dr. Becker, welcome to the Good Dog Pod. That has a little sing song to it. Good Dog Pod. Yeah. I like that. No, thanks for having me, friend. You and I have known each other a long time. And, we have. And my daughter is your same name except one other K. So instead of M-I-K-E-L and Michael, she's M-I-K-K-E-L and Mikkel. Which is why you often call me Mikkel. That's true. <laughs> I'm like your other daughter. That's true. So we're here to talk about Fear Free. And for those members of our audience who may not be familiar, can you just introduce us to the concept of Fear Free, like what it is and how it came to be? Fear free is just looking at the emotional well-being of animals. Those of you that have children or grandchildren or nephews or nieces or have neighbors with young children, you know, we look at both physical and emotional well-being. We would no way have a child that you wanted to have, make sure they brush their teeth and they eat healthy and they exercise, but not worry if they were bullied or were autistic or had severe anxiety. And the problem has been with animals, we've talked about over the years, what are the absolute needs? Oh, food, water, shelter, and veterinary care. And that's not enough. We have to look at both physical and emotional well-being of animals. And that's what Fear Free is. That's great. And so tell me about kind of your personal epiphany and when you decided to found this organization. Oh, my gosh. I have loved animals since the time I was... My earliest memories is walking alongside an Australian shepherd. The only reason I know what dog it was, I saw pictures later. And it was like, you know, when you just learn to walk, it was, <laughs> I could reach out and hold the top of its back and walk along beside it. And then starting age about six or seven, wanted to be a veterinarian, but it wanted to be a dairy practitioner. And so six goes to 22. So 15 years and I get into veterinary school. And the first hour of the first day was a talk by the dean, welcoming these students. And within the first 15 minutes of his lecture, I decided I wanted to be a companion animal practitioner. (laughs) Now, how could you change what you worked on, thought about for 15 years? He was a Jewish prisoner of war Hmm. in Sobibor, and he was befriended by a Malinois, Belgian Malinois, which looks like a German shepherd, kind of. I'm sure that's on good dog. But the Malinois was supposed to terrify him and said it befriended him. And so that human-animal bond had life breathed into it. And it was so eloquent in his description that I became like an evangelist for the human-animal bond and also the healing power of pets because he was kind of the first person to look at the human-animal health connection. 
So that took me into practice and then wrote Chicken Soup for the Pet Lover Soul. And I started Good Morning America and started the syndicated column. And then it just all kind of dominoed. So everything was going along swimmingly, you know, married to the love of my life for 43 years. Dr. Oz has introduced me as America's veterinarian. My wife calls me the old man. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm up here on this beautiful log home on a horse ranch in northern Idaho, this idyllic setting. And I teased Dr. Karen Overall, a board of veterinary habits, about ruining my life because I was on Vancouver Island in Victoria. I gave the keynote one day at a, it's called the Can West Veterinary Conference. She gave the keynote the next day. She was in the front of the room supporting me the day before. So I thought I better go support her. But I was in the back of the room because one, I like to sit in the back of the room. And number two, I was going to sneak out and <laughs> have a beer. And then I thought as soon as she engaged somebody, she'd never notice I was gone. But mm. she gave this unbelievable talk about fear and about emotional well-being. And it's one of those things you don't expect. It changes your life. Fear Free was born in an instant in that talk. Her opening two, three sentences we spent five years developing it, working with boarded veterinary behaviorists. And when it launched in April of 2016, it was an overnight success. Wow. So before that kind of epiphany at her talk, I mean, looking back, do you see the pets you lived with differently? The animals that you treated at your clinics differently? I mean, obviously, people who are in veterinary medicine are empathic and love animals for the most part. So do you feel like something inside you changed personally? Yes. You know, we have a family saying, live for today, plan for tomorrow, no regrets. I have regrets, definitely. It sounds good on a plaque and it looks good on the wall, but in reality, I have regrets. And one of them is, I still remember my mom and dad using racist language, you know? Mm -hmm. I remember other things that, you know, I think all of us have things you think, I wish I'd have handled that differently. You know, the sure. person at school that had a hard time. But specifically with animals, I've always loved animals and I've always been compassionate, but I didn't realize the damage we, and not just veterinary medicine, people that deal with companion animals. So groomers, trainers, pet sitters, mm -hmm. daycare, boarding, and things like that. So now, and I hear this a lot from people that embrace fear free, you look back at that dog. Yeah, we got its nails trimmed. They brought in to trim us. Yeah, there were six of us holding it down. Yeah. And we tied its muzzle shut with some gauze. And it was salivating and struggling. And it expressed its anal glands. And it urinated. May even have pooped a little. We got it done. And you sent it out of there. And now to think of the trauma we caused that. Or mm -hmm. cats that we were taught restraint. in before Fear Free, I'd have head in one zip code and their ass in another zip code. That's just the way you <laughs> yeah. were treated. So you think back, oh my God, restraint. Restraint was designed to protect the people. And now you have something we call it gentle control. It's designed to protect the pet. You still get exactly the same thing. The pet is in positional compliance for a blood draw, for a radiograph, for an examination, which means you know they're there where you can do your job, but the outcome is totally different. In the one, the pet thinks it's fighting for its life. And in the other one, they know that we're fighting for their emotional well-being. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I absolutely have regrets. But now most of the veterinary schools in the United States require fear-free certification of students before graduation. So they're learning something completely different. It's great. It's really great. So until recently, fear-free was focused on the veterinary clinic. 
and it seems like in the past year or so, you've really started to expand what fear free means. And so maybe you can talk about what fear free means to those of us with companion animals in our homes. Well, fear free, when it launched in April 1st of 2016, there was programs for the veterinary profession specifically. Yeah. So for veterinarians, veterinary technicians, which we sometimes call nurses, kennel attendants, and so on. Right now, there's 110,000 people have gone through that course, and there's veterinarians in 63 countries, I believe, that have completed that course. So it's had an impact globally. That's amazing. And then we got thinking, well, what good is a great veterinary visit if they have a poor home life? Mm-hmm. And so we created Fear Free Happy Homes, and Fear Free Happy Homes is complimentary to all pet parents. And then it's, well, let's go back further. How about where pets are sourced at the shelter? Mm-hmm. And that whole process of maybe pets coming from southern United States to the north on the Underhound Railroad, uh, pets that are, are relinquished from the home, and how about the way they're handled upon entry? So we created fearfreeshelters.com, completely complimentary to all shelter and rescue employees and volunteers. And then you start looking at these pieces and you realize, well, what about having a bad experience at grooming? Mm -hmm. Which I think many of us have been to a pet store chain and looked in the glass and watched pets in grooming and you go, wow, those pets are really stressed. Yeah. And so we created kind of like spokes of a wheel. The hub is a fear-free certified veterinary healthcare professional, but we have fear-free programs for trainers, for groomers, for pet sitting, boarding is imminent, and then for shelters, for the home. And one of the reasons we're really delighted to be talking to Good Dog is it's going back to the way it was when I was first practicing veterinary medicine in the 80s, where most pets were sourced locally in homes. Mm-hmm. And so now to think about, doesn't matter where you get this pet, you get it from a local breeder, you get it from a breeder halfway across or all the way across the United <laughs> States, it doesn't matter. We just want to engage with you at the very start so that you look at both the physical and emotional well-being of that pet, really from birth to earth, from conception to, uh, I better not say the term I use in veterinary medicine, <laughs> but it's a... Uh, It's after death. So you could say birth to earth or conception to resurrection. How's that? I like that. Okay. So, you know, that brings up a really good question, which is really the implications for our breeding community. So we've talked with Fear Free and we had you on for a webinar earlier. So hopefully our community is familiar with Fear Free. Our breeders are basically responsible for raising puppies during a huge chunk of what we consider that kind of sensitive socialization window, that really important time in a puppy's life. So what should our breeders be thinking about as they care for these neonate to eight to 12 week old pups until they're going into their new homes? Well, first of all, I applaud these people. I've kind of fought the grain over the years. A lot of the veterinary community didn't get along with the shelter community. Oh my God, they're stealing our business (laughs) and they're competing with stuff. Hello, 50% of Americans can't afford veterinary care. And they perform a very valuable solution. You know, we can't forget when I was first in veterinary school. So let's go back, you know, 1976 when I had that epiphany, we were euthanizing 28 million dogs and cats. Wow. And now here we are this many years later, 600,000 approximately, almost all cats. So the early spay neuter and all that stuff did a good job. So I've always been supportive of shelters. And just another manifestation is how Fear Free Shelters is complimentary to them. Mm -hmm. But these breeders, a lot of times there's kind of a 
crazy, like a cat and dog antagonist between the <laughs> breeders because the breeders tell them this and they come to the vet and we say, why do the breeders tell them this? And then the breeders are saying, the veterinarians are so stubborn, you know? So <laughs> I'm for these breeders because what you're doing, you're providing a human life support system that's cleverly disguised as a four-legged child. And I mean that. We found that out during COVID that when we needed to reduce fear, anxiety, and stress in our lives, what did we do? We bought or we adopted pets. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing that can reduce cortisol, the stress in our life, like pets. It's a medicine that tastes good. It goes down easy. There's no side effects. And you can activate it by one trip to the treat drawer, <laughs> you know, <laughs> about activating it. So when you think about this, I'm raising something that's going to have a 10 to 20 year impact on the human family. They're going to be healthier. They're going to be happier. They're going to be more active. They're going to be more social. And so what I'd like the breeding community to think about, one thing I will tell you, a lot of the breeding community is all about prenatal vitamins and things like that. Yeah. It, it makes zero difference. Literally, <laughs> I'm not even that good a scientist. And I will tell you, it doesn't do anything. Nutrition, on the other hand, you know, is, of course, a big part of it. Sure. But think about what to expect when you're expecting a litter of puppies that just like the mother does not want to be stressed. She does not want to smoke. She does not want to do all these things. She wants to be comfortable. Those are the same things as a breeder that you need to provide for the bitch or the mother dog yeah. is that she has low levels of fear, anxiety, and stress. She has things that make her happy and calm, including massage. You don't have her dealing with noise phobias, like if she's stressed out about thunderstorms or loud noises or snow sliding off the roof, that that's not okay. And so it's just learning, you know. And if I go back to the 80s when I was first a veterinarian, we were like Match.com before there was any Match.com. You know, we connect people together that, okay, you've got this dog. It's an adult. It's got nice confirmation. It's got a good personality. Here's a couple of people that have the opposite sex with the same characteristics. But now it was about, okay, we'll put them on this diet. And then, yeah, they'll prepare a place to whelp. But we know a lot more now. And if we do that together, everybody wins. The bitch wins. The puppies win the pet parents that are going to adopt them win and the breeder wins. And I do think, you know, a golden retriever is not a golden retriever is not a golden retriever. You could have three litters in one zip code and how those pets are going to live their life and the impact they're going to have on the human family can be completely different, even if they're all AKC registered. Yeah, that's a great point. And you brought up a lot of really great points. And hopefully you didn't lose everybody when you dissed the supplements. But, you know, I think the breeder veterinarian relationship is something that we're definitely interested in, in promoting and building and each has different expertise and something to bring to the table. And there's been research on communication issues between veterinarians and breeders. And we spoke about that on a Facebook Live not too long ago. And so it's something that, you know, here at Good Dog, we're also like really trying to facilitate good relationships because ultimately everyone is here for the same reason, to have happy, healthy dogs, to have happy, healthy dog owners, and to facilitate that relationship between the dog owner and the dog. So I think all of this is related. And even though maybe there are issues where there's maybe disagreement, the, the ultimate goal is to have happy animals. And so I think Fear Free fits right into that concept. And of course, we know that early life experiences can impact 
later outcomes for puppies. So talking about the environment for the bitch and making sure she's basically, you know, happy and relaxed and not stressed. I love the idea of massage. Is that something that you have looked into yourself and the effects of massage on dogs? Well, first of all, I'll tell you the scientific part of it. Narda Robinson is a DVM and an MD, and she used to head integrative medicine at Colorado State University's College of Veterinary Medicine. And she has a book out, Therapeutic Pet Massage, that's published by AHA Press, which is the American Animal Hospital Association. So she's so research-oriented. I mean, she's not uh, ooga-booga, hearsay. (laughs) I'm the opposite. For me, if I've experienced it, witnessed it, or believe it to be true, it sounds good to me. Fortunately for Fear Free, we have a head of research that's the opposite of me. (laughs) But NARDA is really hardcore research. So we know the research is there. My wife, Teresa, took a course and became a certified pet massage therapist. And I've got to witness what it does in my own house. I've got to see what it does when I work. A lot of times she works with me at the practice and see her doing a massage on a pet before they're seen. And if she has time after they're seen, I mean, these pets will literally come back and recognize her and back up to her. Like one of those trucks, you know, we hear that, eh. (laughs) they're like oh god i remember you and they back up right in there to be massaged (laughs) please massage me again it's quite a thing to go to a fear-free practice and actually have the dog drag the owner into the practice and have the owner try to drag them out i'm not kidding it's the exact opposite of most places where the pet parent tries to drag him in and then the dog drags him out at cartoony speed and it's all related to looking at the triggers to try to remove or reduce the triggers. If you can't mitigate it, there's things you do ranging from compression garments to nutraceuticals to pheromones to pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. And then you put the treat into treatment. These pets come in hungry and they're given the most amazing treats and they're not too novel. Like I'm not going to give them a Collins Street fruitcake, you know, <laughs> from last year that they're like, I don't know the taste of this, but it is something they're familiar with, but don't get very often like hot deli turkey, like easy cheese cheddar and bacon oh, yeah. or peanut butter or shrimp or salmon or tuna or for cats, it can be whipped cream or easy cheese or deli turkey. But warmed up deli turkey, there's not too many pets that won't take that. Yeah. When I was working at UC Davis, I think the saying was the veterinary clinic is not the place to start a diet. So the treats were really embraced. Good point. And, you know, we always say they don't live here. It's just (laughs) like I was at Disney over the weekend and I ate so much stuff, but I don't go to Disney every day. And that's the thing. You want to have things that overcome the fear, anxiety, and stress levels. And it's pretty amazing. 85% of the cats that come to the clinic where Fear Free started and where I work, if they're not sick or injured, will take a treat. That's great. Yeah. And dogs, of course, I think they're a little more open to treats in that kind of situation. Yeah. Even if they don't take the treat, here's the other benefits. They get the choice of where they're examined. So they can not be up on the table. They can Mm -hmm. be in their lap, in the carrier, in your lap, on the floor, on a yoga mat. We do a lot of therapeutic massage. You know, we have something called a Zoom Croom that you can buy from the Kong company. And we know the places that most pets like to be touched. And if you're a woman and you're listening to this, you know how you love to get your hair washed by somebody else? Well, imagine these little rubber fingers on a Zoom Groom on the tail base of a dog or cat. Oh, boy. Yeah, that sounds good. It feels pretty darn good. <laughs> That's great. So one of the other things I've noticed that Fear Free has offered more of, too, is this concept of training and cooperative care which is actually having our cats and dogs be 
like an active part of their treatment and having them accept different types of handling. Can you speak to how that became part of this? You ought to see me smile. I'm smiling so wide I could eat a banana sideways right now because (laughs) I just think of Good Dog and the influence you have and are going to have on how these puppies are raised. Because what you would want to do as a breeder is set these pets up for a lifetime of success. So, you know, when you look at all these things during COVID, we watched how they were testing for COVID in zoo animals. And they had, you know, the three M&Ms for the orangutan population. (laughs) The elephants all got jelly beans or something, (laughs) you know, and then the one, I think the lions got chicken baby food. Nice. And so they actually present themselves for services. I mean, this like, oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. you bet I'm going to come over and present this rhino will give you its foot to have its nails trimmed because they're going to get pieces of uh, apple or something. Because how else are you going to trim a rhino's nails? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I've actually done a rectal on a rhino, (laughs) Michael. So that's one of those. Is that on your bucket list? That was not on my bucket list. No. Okay. Okay. So that's one of those when you have a few drinks and you go, okay, what's the craziest thing you've ever done? That was actually a part of a therapeutic procedure. I, I want to let that known. That wasn't a college prank. But <laughs> you know what? You know, literally, when I think back at dairy cows, because you grew up on a dairy farm, that's why I want to be a dairy practitioner. When you artificially inseminate cattle or you're checking to see if they're pregnant, you use a, you know, a sleeve and you go up their rectum and you actually feel the ovaries. Well, those cows see that sleeve and it's like, oh God, you know, that's why they kick. That's why they're moving. And when you think of fear, fear is caused by something painful or something disturbing. So you get your nails trimmed too short, your dog, oh, that hurts. Now seeing the nail trimmers is disturbing. Or even going into the room where the nail trimmers are, you see a syringe. Oh, I had a vaccination. I had a blood draw. I had an injection. That was painful. Now seeing the syringe is disturbing. So in cooperative care, you're not going to let the pet see the syringe. You're not going to let the pet see the nail trimmers. Well, how would you do that? One, you can use something called a calming cap, which Mm -hmm. looks like you're looking through a screen door at dusk, but you use a distraction technique. You're giving them churu paste or you're giving them big chunks of peanut butter off of a pretzel stick. They're not looking at the nail trimmers. They're not looking at the syringe. So A good example, when we teach all of our dogs to present themselves for nail trims, they come in and we cover the nail trimmers, or if we're going to vaccinate, we cover the syringe with a little piece of cloth that's been spritzed with pheromones. Mm. They don't see it. Nice. And you do it in a different place. You don't do it the same place. You always trim their nails. So what I can see these breeders doing, if you want to be at this crazy thing, is you've already started to teach these puppies to do a chin rest. Nice. Yeah. Is a good example where they come up to you and they rest their chin on a little piece of towel. That's where you look at their teeth. That's where you look in their eyes. That's when you handle their ears. And so that pet has known that touch, physical touch on these different parts throughout their entire life. Yes. And then they can actually consent, right? Because they come over, they put their chin on the rest and they're saying, it's okay to touch me now. So, yes. you know, we definitely want to bring more education to our good breeder community about these topics. Certainly it's on our agenda of things we want to bring up to our breeders so that they can learn to apply some of these techniques in the home, which is really like we've talked about kind of the extension of the idea of fear-free, not just being in the vet clinic, but actually coming into the home where before the veterinary exam even is a figment in anyone's imagination. 
you know, I think we'll have lots of opportunities to talk about that again in the future. I did want to just ask you, well, one, who do you live with as far as pets are concerned? It's really funny. Do you ever have the discussions with your significant other or something or your family? Like if the boat tips over, who are you going to save? <laughs> you know, I avoid those conversations. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't. My <laughs> wife better be a dang good swimmer because cutie pie is, I call them canine cocktails. So I know you guys are part of Good Dog is having stuff that's crossbred, right? It just may be, uh, we used to call them Heinz 57 or mongrels mm -hmm. or mutts. I coined the term canine cocktail. The reason I like it through genetics testing, you can kind of parse it out and see what ingredients are in there. Sure. But he's a dachshund, chihuahua, Jack Russell cross. Wow. So to describe him, he's two dogs long and a half a dog tall. <laughs> and he is a distemper survivor. He's just my heartbeat. I've had, I think over the years, 15 dogs. And he's that one that's just my heartbeat. Heart we, dog, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then we got a dog outside that is a pit bull boxer cross. The pit bull lab crosses are actually ideal crosses because they might chew your arm off, but they bring it back to you. <laughs> so I don't think boxers are too good at retrieving. But she's a three-legged dog, had a nerve sheath tumor, so we had to remove her left front leg. But as they say, dogs have three legs and a spare, and she does just perfect nice very nice then a bunch of horses so we had six dogs but went through a bad spell in the last two years and lost a bunch so we'll probably start filling her back up again my wife wants a pomeranian or she's thinking about a french bulldog she's thinking about a labrador retriever but okay. i kind of have a feeling it's going to be a pomeranian okay well we might have some suggestions for you good well before we wrap up today at the time that this will be online, we will be approaching the end of the year. So I thought it'd be fun to just have a few suggestions for our breeder community for New Year's resolutions that can help all of us have happier dogs. So just some quick and easy things that anybody can do to have a better relationship with their dog or make their dogs even happier. It's all about like, what can we do even better than we're already doing? So what would you put on that list? Here's my number one tip. And this is so easy to do and nobody does it. I'm just going to say this, probably 99% of people greet dogs wrong. Mm. So I was just in a busy part of Los Angeles and I wasn't too much into shopping, but I was into people watching and I watched people over and over and over again, greet dogs incorrectly. So what do most people do? Well, all of us love dogs. So we see a dog coming. <laughs> oh my God, it's cute. Oh gosh, can I pet it? Oh, what's his name? What breed is it? And you're staring at it eye to eye with the dog. You lean over, you put your fist out. All three of those things are wrong. And I didn't know this before Fear Free. Number one, you don't want to have prolonged direct eye contact. Number two, you don't want to loom big. Think of Halloween where you're big and you're leaning down over is threatening. And you don't want to stick your fist in their face. That dog has smelled you for it. You even saw it. That's a good point. So what you do is you turn, you can glance at it. Oh my gosh, it's beautiful. And then you turn sideways and you can talk to the pet parent. Can I pet her? And if they give permission, then you just pat your leg. Like I'm 67, but I still get down on one knee. And so I'll get down on one knee and then call the dog over to me. And if he or she doesn't come, I don't push it. Right. So you're letting the dog choose whether I'm or not letting the dog choose. Interact. Yep. And then I also typically I'll have some kind of treat in my pocket if I'm knowing I might interact with dogs. So I'll ask if I can give them a treat. 
I have it in a commercial package so they see it's not something crazy. <laughs> and then I just toss a little bit and Hansel and Gretel it right over to me. So that's number one. Okay. So your first number one piece of advice sounds like carry dog treats in your pockets all the time. Yeah. And I also have them in the car in case a dog's loose or something. Oh, yeah. You need to yeah. find them. But learn how to greet pets. And if you're a breeder and you're having people come over, teach them how to interact with these pets. That's great. Yeah, be an advocate for your dog. And I think, too, is really good socialization. We have a new little cult here named Corey, short for Corinthians. And we have balloons. We have towels. We have noisy plastic bags. We have wood he has to walk across. So here's the thing. We have ATVs. We have cars. Everything that he's going to be around, we sensitize him to. And so for pets, you know, you need to make sure that they see men and women and all those other things about substrate and all sorts of things, but just go overboard on socialization and then handling. That's the good thing about massage. Massage and handling are right together. You mm -hmm. touch their ears, you touch their lips, you touch their feet. Just think of a baby, and I could close with this. If you think about a human baby, when a baby starts crying, everybody looks over there and we mm -hmm. think, oh, dirty diaper, she's tired, he's got gas, they need a nap. Nobody goes, oh, hell with it, you know, <laughs> Sunday football's on, who cares? And pets show you their emotions. Once you start knowing the signs, and Michael, you're extremely good at this with cats, and I'm okay with cats and pretty darn good with dogs. But they tell you exactly how they're feeling emotionally. Yeah. You know, you can just tell. And that's the thing I hope everybody starts to learn is to start to decipher that communication they have and crack the code of it. And by doing that, you have a richer, deeper relationship with them. Yeah. And Fear Free Happy Homes has resources that can help people better read their dog's body language and understand how to interact with them and respect what they're telling you. It's not just being able to understand it, but it's also. I think sometimes we want to cuddle or pet the animal and we don't stop and think like, oh, is this what the cat or dog wants? Is this welcome? Well, I actually had to learn, you know, Hair Dr. Oz calls me America's veterinarian. America's veterinarian had to learn through Fear Free. Mm -hmm. Dogs and cats don't like being stroked down the dorsal midline, which means mm. the top of their back. I would right. just I love them and I just want to, oh God, I love you for their neck down to the base of their tail. Dogs or cats don't like that. So yeah. you learn the places that most of them like to be touched. And once you learn, I'll tell you the great thing about Fear Free. If you're a breeder, you hear this all the time from the tens of thousands of people that have gone through the Fear Free Shelter course. It changes your relationship with your own pet you see things differently. You do things differently. And when that happens, then you realize, okay, I want either the pets that I'm adopting out or the pets that I am selling, I want them to live a happy, healthy, full life. And it goes beyond exercising them and getting them panting tired and feeding them good nutrition and taking them to the veterinarian. There's a whole other piece out there about emotional well-being that you want them to not just be healthy, but you want them to be happy and enriched. And we kind of touched on this earlier about the enrichment piece. These dogs, their bodies are built for movement and they have a genetic exuberance to do certain things. They don't want to be born retired. And whether you're feeding them, that's another thing as a breeder, I would want them to talk to these new pet parents about using food puzzles or food dispensing devices. Probably the number yeah. one thing I forgot about that in these lists is to not feed pets out of food bowls. Sure. 
Yeah, super important. Yeah, it's easy. You have to feed them anyway. So put the food in a puzzle instead of a bowl. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. Can you tell our listeners how to find Fear Free online? Yeah, go to fearfreepets.com. If you're looking for a fear-free veterinarian, groomer, trainer, pet sitter, boarding, fearfreepets.com. If you're in any kind of rescue work, fearfreeshelters.com. And I really appreciate the work you're doing. And I'm not just sucking up to you because I'm on your (laughs) podcast. I really think that people need, really, you're going back to exactly what we did in communities in the 80s and 90s is somebody raised a really nice litter of pets. And for some families, you get to see the circle of life. You get to see things being born. You get to share this gift, this joy. Like there's nothing like a dog. There mm-hmm. just isn't. You know, I, yeah. the resident veterinarian, Good Morning America, for 17 years and met all these celebrities. Well, guess what? When you have a dog, you're a celebrity. You come <laughs> home and they're like, oh my God, where have you been? And you go in from work and you change clothes and come in from the other room. And it's like the second coming of Christ. You know, they're like, <laughs> oh my God, where have you been? You know, and, doesn't matter, rich or poor, Republican or Democrat, black or white, doesn't matter anything. You know, that dog loves you, has eyes for you. Yeah, that's great. Well, the feeling is mutual. We love Fear Free. We love having you on. Thank you so much for your time. And I know we will have you back in one form or another. So thanks for your time. Thank you, friend. Take care. 